Welcome to Burn News Current Affairs Podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnnews.com. John Narraway joins me today. He's a Bermudian entrepreneur. He's also the chairman of the TEDx uh, Bermuda. Uh, in fact, he, uh, he wears quite a few hats, but he's here today to talk about uh, technology. Um, welcome, John. Thanks. Um, I know you've been reading uh, a report that uh, was published recently from uh, the Davos conference, mm-hmm. and uh, they were rather stark, or the report was rather stark, saying around about 5 million jobs are expected to go uh, due to uh, advances in technology. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know you read that report. Tell us a bit about it. Um, yeah, so coming out of the World Economic Forum, they published a report on the impact of technology on kind of the job front uh, globally, which is really interesting in that they did specify that there'd be about 5 million jobs that would essentially would be made redundant through technological advancement. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did actually talk a little bit about about two million dollars, sorry, two million jobs that would be created as a result of it. So you're netting out at about three million. But it, it's interesting because it's the job creation, versus the jobs lost. The jobs lost are going to be in kind of the, the, the I would, what I would call kind of the labor side of things. Mm-hmm. The job creation is in the more on the, more the administrative managerial intellectual property side of yeah. things. The jobs creators. are automated. Exactly. So, you know, if you look at where, what jobs are likely to be impacted the most by technology and first by technology, it would be things that are, you know, some criteria. One, is it repetitive? Mm-hmm. Is it something that is consistent? Is it something that requires a, a great deal of accuracy? You're seeing that computer technology actually can do things a lot more efficiently, a lot more right. accurately than, mm-hmm. than humans mm-hmm. can. So you can kind of actually start breaking it down a little bit and sort of say, you know, um, we're kind of moving from, you know, if your job is repetitive, logical, standardized, and requires accuracy, chances are a computer is going to be able to do it sure. in the future. And that's through either artificial intelligence or through robotics. But if your job requires some kind of level of cognitive judgment, some kind of emotional or moral uh, decision making, mm-hmm. chances are the technology is not going to be there for a long time to be able to do those sort of so things. So chances are if you're a lawyer, you're okay. If you're an actuary, you might have problems. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> a good example would be if you were a machinist. Uh, you know, a computer now pretty much is able to do everything that a machinist used to mm-hmm. be able to do with mm-hmm. greater accuracy. That being said, you know, so on one side, a computer is going to give you, you know, a, a computer-generated CNC machine is going to generate something that is, you know, has amazing accuracy. The human element is the kind of the Japanese wabi-sabi. The imperfection is what makes it beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think you'll see a return to value around that. Does Bermuda is not immune to all this? What do you think will happen here? How do you think Bermuda might be impacted by these? Technological advances at all, right? Because you know, you look at Bermuda and, and what it's really done well with. Uh, it has done extre- extremely well with the insurance industry. There are some reports that indicate that things like um, actuarial jobs actually will decrease through the use of technology because of the computing power and the kind of the combination of you know of all the computers working together, kind of a neural network being able to do some pretty heavy-duty calculations. And it's already happening pretty much in the industry with modeling. But the underwriting jobs, and that gets back to the decision-making mm-hmm. um, and that kind of cognitive judgment, um, in some cases even an emotional judgment, 
you know, the computers aren't able to replicate that. So on one side, the calculations would be probably more automated, but the judgment's still going to be manually done. So that's, that bodes well for Bermuda with kind of the arena that we're in. I do see that there could be opportunities where we've taken certain things off the table because of high labor costs. Suddenly, we could maybe get into the game. So if technology is rapidly uh, reducing the cost of, say, robotic manufacturing, um, does that actually present an opportunity for Bermuda to be doing light manufacturing again? Because mm -hmm. one of the, the main arguments against manufacturing in Bermuda would be the cost of labor. Absolutely. So I'm not saying that Bermuda is going to be, you know, creating factories, but you know, we could get into the uh, game of manufacturing for local consumption. Mm -hmm. um, and what that looks like in five to ten, twenty years from now it could be very different. Right now, we kind of produce on, you know, the world produces a massive amount of goods in the hopes that things are going to be consumed. I think we're going to be shifting to a world in which you produce something when you want it and need it uh, on demand. Yeah. yeah. But I think, you know... So there might be opportunities there. For absolutely. With 3D printing, it totally changes things. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the advances in 3D printing are incredible. Right. So it's about building a house with 3D printing. Exactly. Um, it, but it still requires people somewhere in the process to mm -hmm. either design things, to uh, ensure that it's done right, to be able to you know, basically move materials around mm -hmm. uh, effectively. So there could be a degree of increased self-sufficiency? Uh, quite possibly. I mean, so if you take, you know, one, you have the hard tech, and then on the flip side of all this, and there is an impact with the job side as well, is in biotech and in, um, actually biotech's a good example, when you start looking at farming, and the advances that are happening as far as understanding the requirements of growing Absolutely. in controlled environments with vertical farming, and we're starting to see some people uh, playing around with that in Bermuda a little bit. You know, we could actually see a level of self-sufficiency that we've never had before. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, of course, one of the biggest things here to take advantage of um, the increased um, development, pace of development of the technology, is going to be education, isn't it? And is it a question that there needs to be a bit of a mindset change, do you think, in Bermuda to sort of change the course of traditional education? I, I, I think it's, Bermuda's not alone in this, right? It's the rest of the, the entire world is facing this. And um, we were talking before a little bit about, you know, you, it kind of goes back to how do you sort of change the uh, mindset? And this is a, a pretty big shift because it's essentially what's been coined as the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. Um, but this one is completely different. This isn't like anything we've seen before. This is not just a change in jobs, but very much a change in lifestyle. <laughs> we joked before, it's kind of like, how did everybody react when they realized the world was round after mm -hmm. believing it was flat for so many years? And I kind of feel like you know the Industrial Revolution that we've had since, say, the through the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, everything's kind of been going along, and we've all been kind of like, yeah, the world is flat. And all of a sudden, we're realizing it's round. And it's probably a healthier thing that we actually understand that, but the chaos that ensues in transferring or transforming into that type of um, uh, um, you know, very well-run, organized, not chaotic society is a process. Well, that's going to be the interesting part, isn't it? The transformation and how right. it's handled. You know, we, you know my, my father, your father, probably a lot of them all kind of like, you know, what, was, what were we told? You get a good education, go Absolutely. to a good school, yep. you'll have a great job, mm -hmm. and if you're really lucky, work in that company, do really well, ascend, to, you know, ascend up the ladder, get a, and get a great pension, retire at 65, 55 if you're really lucky. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Mm -hmm. that, uh, that is... It's gone. That, that doesn't exist anymore. And 
you know, the the interesting thing in the Davos report was that 65%, or they're estimating anyways, 65% of the students entering primary this year will be going into careers that don't exist today. And that's... That's pretty frightening stuff. Where do you guide them? How do you teach when you don't actually know what the requirements are going to be in 20 years? So how can that change it? Is there a need to sort of incentivize perhaps? I think we kind of look at, you know, we've always... Uh, Ken, Sir Ken Robbins... No, Robbins? Uh, Sir Ken Robbins. Um, he spoke, he's spoken at TED a couple of times. And he's kind of said, you know, the challenge we have is that we've, we've looked at education in a very industrialized, you know, we're turning out the model year of yeah. students. You know, your graduating year is your model year, and congratulations, it's the class of 2007. And not quite as good as 2006. <laughs> you know, the shift is kind of is happening where it's, you know, we, we have to stop thinking about it in terms of keeping it, getting everybody out in a specific amount of time and more of how do we train people the right amount of time with the right amount of experience and the right amount of depth to be able to survive in the world but also be productive and um, to be able to create value, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the, maybe that's the, uh, <laughs> the bigger existential question, what's the purpose of life? And I think it is to create value in the community. We, we don't live by ourselves, we live in communities, and we have to provide value to those around us. But there's, I think there's definitely a bit of a stoic period we'll go through where it's kind of we're going to live with a lot less. Yeah. Um, the things are going to be a lot harder to come by. I think there will be a lot more suffering. Um, you, you mentioned earlier on, and it's quite an interesting comparison, actually quite an interesting analogy, that it's like living, uh, thinking the world is flat, and suddenly finding out it's uh, it's round. Uh, that's uh, Quite a thing to get our heads around, isn't it? Particularly in a small community like Bermuda, it's going to be quite impacted. Yeah. So the the upside is what you see as a career could be something that you actually don't leave your house to do in the morning, or you go somewhere different, or you're working with people that are all around the world, and that's already happening today, but probably in a, to a greater degree in the future. Um, the idea that a company is going to be around for a long time, I think, is you know. The, <laughs> I was listening to an interview the other day, and they were talking about how in, um, I think it was uh, Chicago, um, tech startups have this problem where everybody wants a 10-year lease, and everybody's going to like, you know, a 10-year lease, we're not sure we'll be around in two years from now, let alone 10 years, and we're certainly not going to be static and not grow within 10 years, so why would we take a 10-year lease in this property? So I think things are going to be a lot more dynamic. I think you'll see a lot more kind of groups come together to make things happen around a project and then probably disappear. Uh, afterwards or reinvent itself each time and the, even the notion of what a company is is pro- probably they'll have a, almost like a life expectancy <laughs> you know, it'll be written in there that after we complete this project and generate enough value for the investors we'll dissolve it or continue yeah. on to another project. The question is, is whether Bermuda can compete in that. I think Bermuda is actually uniquely positioned to compete in some of that. Yeah, why is that? D- just in the sense of corporate structures um, you know, kind of being in a very neutral territory mm-hmm. that if you're putting together a global team to tackle a challenge, maybe Bermuda is the right place. I, I'm not a a lawyer or an economist, so I'm kind of in the uh, deep end here. But well, it comes I, back to the high labor cost, so it doesn't have a high cost of living, which is going to be a problem. Right, but again, it's like the the organizer, you know, the organizing faction could be here, but it would be a team of people in Sydney and London and Toronto yeah. and New York, and they're all working independently. But Bermuda is the well, the, hu- the hub point of the absolutely with two collection. people sitting in a small office. Yeah. We're actually seeing some of that already. I know that there are examples. I know in Bermuda and right. where two people sit in a small office and they control a company worldwide of some two hundred employees. Right. 
and that's quite a trend that's growing already. Yeah, and the other side of it is that you know we worry about jobs in Bermuda and creating jobs for Bermudians. Well, I'm seeing a trend also where you know, uh, you know, my next door neighbor he works for a company in California. Right. But you know he lives in Bermuda and that's next door. He, sure. And he's not a the CEO of the company luxurious lifestyle. He's just he's allowed to work remotely, mm. and his job doesn't require him to be in Silicon Valley. But he's on the phone and on Skype and absolutely the technology like that is, is amazing. You know, we just got to make it uh, make it so it can happen here. You know, the joke is he's probably more connected to his team because he has to do it this way versus sitting in a cubicle and not talking to people. <laughs> or, Absolutely, you know. yeah. It's going to be interesting times. Just um, just moving on a bit, uh, it's, it's going to be impossible to predict any certainty yet how Bermuda is going to be affected. But one thing we can look at perhaps is, is actually you know, more on the consumer side, um, the trends for the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that's really gathering pace and it's going to affect everybody, every consumer, is the internet of things. Yeah. Can you just explain uh, your opinion of the Internet of Things. Right, so if you look at what's happened over the last couple of years, um, one is essentially Internet access is essentially everywhere. It's, it's what we've always wanted to be. Yahoo, no Yahoo, sorry, Google uh, and Facebook are all aggressively working on how to deliver Internet to the most remote places Absolutely. in the world at a very low cost yeah. with yeah. their projects. So if you kind of take this base layer that, you know, the network is just going to be there. It's an assumption. It's like air. It's just out there. The, the internet, whether it's through Wi-Fi, Li-Fi, whatever, mm -hmm. it's just going to, always going to be there in, in the next couple of years. Right now, almost, I don't know what the penetration rates are to be exact, but I'm guessing it's somewhere probably 70-80% of households are Wi-Fi enabled these days, so you have internet everywhere in your house. Well, I think it's higher than that in Bermuda, actually. Yeah, but you know, if you look into the U.S. and places like that, yeah, it's probably in there. It's, and it's becoming more affordable. Right, so you, you kind of it starts trickling into greater parts of the community and also in the world. So if you take the kind of that base layer, that one the the, the network is there, mm -hmm. then it doesn't take too long to start seeing that. Well, people want to create things and businesses that utilize that and connect to that. Yep. And one of the things that isn't talked about too much, and you know, as much as either you love or hate Apple, uh, the success of the iPhone in itself is miraculous in what it's done to the mobile phone industry. But it, you also have to look at the impact of what they've driven in terms of reducing and in, reducing the form factor of things, but also exponentially increasing the processing power, the quality of things like cameras, yeah. GPS units, yeah. um, accelerometers. You know what used to maybe be a two inch by two inch accelerometer um, in a in a device that required something like that um, is now a chip. Yes, right. Exactly. So, yeah. it, it, it's, 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 it, you know, but what does that mean? Is that you know, the, Apple made it innovate on that, but within two years, you know, it's being utilized in another technology yeah. because you know the manufacturing powers of the world in Taiwan and in China are able to put them into a, you know a, a, a good example. You know what what's happened with. GPS technology and accelerometers has been embedded into, you know, basically consumer-grade drones yeah. or, or, you know, remote-control helicopters yeah, yeah. for ho hobbyists and yeah. the higher-end stuff, obviously, for yeah. uh, commercial yeah. use. But that's one example of the internet, I think, is maybe get but, a bit more grassroots and consumer. I mean, you're going to have a fridge. Right. You're going to order your bacon and eggs for you. 
you have that level. You have being able to, you know, your outlets would be individually controlled by your phone, which, which used to be like a, you'd have to completely home. You know, home automation used to be rip everything out and put in this really high tech system. Right, now yeah. it's much more of you put in this outlet, it connects through Wi Fi. You get an app for it, and you can yeah. put your lights on before you come home. Right, you, it takes you five minutes to put it. You, you know, it takes you more time to put the face plate onto the socket than it does to configure it, yeah, and that's kind of where things are going. And Again, with technology advancing the way it is, things are going to get smarter and faster at connecting um, in the way that we... We are going to be even more connected, actually, aren't we? Absolutely. To each other and to consumables. Yeah. The only... Um, you know, I... I <laughs> So then, so the upside is everything's connected. The downside is everything's connected, right? So yeah, you have this exactly. level. So you go kind of go oh, through the disconnect, right? Well, it's a, disconnect. so if you kind of look at this as a layer cake, right? So you got four layers. The first layer, base layer, is going to be you know you have a network. The second layer would be you got some really great hardware that has the iPhone effect, which propels the Internet of Things. Then on top of that, you have a software layer, which is kind of the interface that you actually use on things. And even if you look at the advancements around that, a lot of that is becoming very personalized. It becomes kind of the world that you live in uh, between Instagram, Snapchat, yep. WhatsApp, and, and what have you. There's a lot of behavioral learning that's happening through how people are using things. So on, on one level, you have this sort of software app layer that's collecting behavioral characteristics, which is feeding into the AI, which mm -hmm. is you know, basically the, um, <laughs> the, the, the good old AI, which everybody is kind of worried about. But... Uh, well, it's here. It's going to be here to What is artificial intelligence? You know, it definitely it does it does exist today. I think the one thing that everybody kind of worries about is is what they call the singularity, which is when computing power is basically you can't tell the difference, right? It's the Turing test. Can you tell yeah. that you're actually dealing with a computer, and, yeah. but you think it's a human? That is not happening as fast. I was reading up the other day. Actually, AI isn't on the same path as Moore's law. It isn't exponential. It's actually a lot harder than anybody thinks it is. Um, there's certain things that it just won't be able to do, but it, the, around the behavioral thing. So, so basically, every you know, every time you search for Google, Google makes money through advertising, but where its value is created is through the questions people ask. Yeah. Right. So the, the so it makes money because it delivers a result that's got advertising attached to it. But man, it its value creation is that it with every question you ask, it understands what people are looking to understand which gets you into understanding behavior, which means AI, every Google search we do feeds into yep. essentially what is artificial intelligence. So it's kind of a, a, an interesting layer there. But the really top layer of all that is what is that, where does that all, all that data go and where is your privacy? And I think that is an area that is probably, it's being tackled on many different levels from how do you ensure security, how do you, you know, how do people know that their data, you know, their data is protected. That their data is anonymized. Yeah. Um, you know, when I'm searching for things, does Google actually know everything about me? Yes. Or do they, or, you know? But is it me that they know everybody? That, or is it you know a customer at an IP address? And I'm a, uh, am I just a number, or am I John Arroway at you know address Bermuda? It, it's and where's that line? And if they're not, so so there's a big ethical moral level here, Absolutely. which is the trend there is. We've got to come up with some ground rules on what we feel is acceptable, and that has to be. That's where we need. I think probably the probably a better way to put it. This is actually where we need government's help. This is where, it's where the government's. Lead, this is this, this is where the governments have to step in um, with a lot of public consultation and working with companies because you know having governments help out at layer, you know at the networking layer, at the hardware, at the software layer 
it, it, it's that's all happening and that's all at a consumer level and getting adoption of technology isn't a problem you know and getting young people to understand technology I mean, we, we send our kids to school and we kind of go oh we hope they take computer courses they, they can teach the teachers how to use a computer Absolutely, now yeah. um, we're past that point right so I don't think we need a lot of help from government on ensuring that we have technology adoption anymore it, it's there what we need help in is how do we protect people's civil rights, how do we protect people's, yeah. you know, um, full stop, yeah, full stop. Yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and what is, and, and if somebody does break that trust, what is the implication of it? Is it a slap on the wrist? Is it, how serious is it? And what I've seen more often than not, it's been kind of a slap on the wrist to... I think it's probably because nobody quite knows yet, nobody's quite got their heads around this issue yeah. of how serious a data breach is or a privacy breach is, mm. and it depends on the, on the level of invasion as a privacy invasion yeah but yeah this internet things i mean yes you're right it's not it is about that as well as the consumables uh, this trend is going to carry on at, at such a pace that i think uh, will we'll leave us uh, kind of gasping to be honest just a bit, bit more uh, grassroots stuff i suppose for the better phrase <laughs> we're seeing a kind of drop in uh, sales of pcs now mm-hmm. aren't we? we seem to have hit a, a ceiling Technology seems to be stopping in that respect, or slowing down in that respect. Yeah, uh, the use of technology. Well, I, so, or is that just because we've just reached a, we can't sell any more PCs to people, or is it being taken over by uh, your cell phone or your tablet? Yeah, I think the. F- I'm suspecting I don't have any hard data behind this, so I'm, I'm kind of going on a limb here. I think what we're seeing is kind of the rationalization of what do I actually do on my computer or my PC what do I need it for? that I'm not able to do on my phone or my iPad or tablet or, or whatever. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I don't see a decrease in PC penetration even as a bad thing. If you look at Japan in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, or actually through the 90s, when the internet was booming, the really odd thing about Japan and why they became leaders for, while while it was a short time, they were the leaders in mobile technology for about five or six years. They really blazed a trail and, and on the technology side, and they they developed things like video messaging, photo messaging, um, you know, apps. They they that was their thing. They actually created all that. But the interesting part is that the development happened there because the investment was in mobile, because nobody had PCs. Because it does PCs at that time were. Big, you know, CRT monitors, uh-huh. a large, you know, and Japanese houses aren't built to house that type of thing, and they didn't want these great big, you know, Godzilla-size computer in their living room. It didn't fit with the, I guess, the Zen of their lifestyle, or this. It was just too big. They live in a very efficient size house. You know, this is a big thing that they didn't really want in their house, so they kind of, were, in a way. I don't know if they rejected it full out, but it was kind of like it was just not something that they had. They they had them at work. They didn't have them at home. It didn't fit into their... It wasn't a social thing. Yeah. I, I think a lot of technology is very social, right? So, they, you know, I love the stories of people. It's like, we were the first people to have color TV on our block. Yes, I remember. <laughs> like, I remember the joy when a color TV came into my house. Um, so is, is it the, the cell phone, the tablets now making life more sociable Let's see the demise of the PC? Well, what are, we, what are you using a PC for at home? I mean, well, really? What the wrong person. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I guess, what is the average person? You know, okay, so let me think about it. It's probably generational, but 
you know, my parents use a computer at home so they can Google stuff, look up stuff, and Skype the grandchildren, yeah. Yeah. which is cool. But it's a stationary fixed thing. And now my mom has her iPhone, and now she's Skyping with the iPhone. So mm-hmm. she doesn't have to go to the computer in the den to Skype anymore. Mm-hmm. And she loves this, and she mm-hmm. can be you know, talking to them from anywhere in the house. Mm-hmm. You're kind of looking at what you're actually doing. Now, she had to go... Not too many people have to do Excel spreadsheets unless they're working from home. Not too many people have to you know, crank out a Word document, do PDFs, and all that. That's a very work-centric type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you're seeing also is that blurring of between work and home, right? So you know, you'll have your work laptop or you have your... So it, it's kind of that blurring, and it's kind of like actually people, are, when it comes to communicating and socializing and home life, Mobile makes a lot more sense. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, they don't want to be sitting. They've been sitting in front of a computer for eight and a half hours, nine hours at work. Why are they going to no, go sit in front of a computer for another four hours at home? They absolutely won't. And, and the younger generation, he says, but the millennials' research shows that they're adept at uh, looking at two screens at the same time when they're sitting there with a the tablet. At least, at, at, at least two screens. TV as well. Right. Yeah, you know, but um, it's not it's not with a laptop or a, or a PC, a desktop. Certainly not a desktop. You know, and it's very hard for our generation to look at the young kids and sort of go, you, how, how on earth can you focus if you're doing three things at one time? They become awesome multitaskers. Absolutely, yeah. But, I, you know, I do have a sense that they have serious, well, you want a fun experiment? Have four kids in your house and turn off the internet. <laughs> um, it's a revolt. I've got two it's kids. A, it's a revolt, I've right? I've got two kids in the house and I turned off the internet and we actually started playing games. It was quite interesting. Right, it, it's... You know, and so this is the the other part of it, right? So Bermuda, culturally, so you look at all these sort of things and what's happening in the world, and you look at Bermuda. And Bermuda, for a very long time, I would say, had a very cottage culture. Like, even our home lives were very cottage-like. Like, we mm-hmm. kind of lived, a lot, I think, a lot more simply. We weren't very urbanized, and I think you're seeing that happen in Bermuda now, where we're, we're actually, we, we expect the amenities that you would have living in and a major center around the mm-hmm. world now. We expect really high-speed internet. We expect air conditioning. We, ex- you know, we want the nice things in life, um, and that's very different from what we kind of grew up with in Bermuda, which was much more. You know, we leave the doors open, air flow through the house. We drink the we drink the water out of the tank. You know, and now we're realizing that we're probably drinking the water out of the tank isn't the best thing for us, according to the reports. In fact, now it's proven that it's probably should be filtering it. But we did have a very simple yep. cottage life, and yep. I think. Technology actually allows us to maybe return to some of that, but... Maybe, maybe. Uh, it's it's debatable whether it speeds up, whether the activity is good or bad. But uh, that's the kind of conversation that could go on for a very long time. Yeah. Just, just changing the subject completely, um, what, what do you enjoy in terms of technology? Um, what are your top three favorite things? Top, top three. Um, <laughs> um, playing around with 3D video cameras right now. That's really fun. Um, strapping it to you know my son's go kart as he was doing some laps on the weekend, and it's kind of fun when you can get video footage of you know you're looking at the you know where he's going and you can turn and see him actually driving, and then you can turn around and see the carts. Yeah. Well, well, there's some carts behind him, a lot of carts in front of him, and then turn it to you know and you can kind of swivel it right around and see the you know the crowd, and it, it, I think that's kind of it's it's probably on the verge of what you're going to see in the future of kind of content creation at a very grassroots level for yeah. virtual reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
or immersive content. You're going to see that happening. So this, will, so, th so this video, you know, and you can stick them up on YouTube now, and people can actually swivel around and, and watch the videos uh, in, th in three, three dimensions. As long as you have the right browser, but that's again, it's an adoption curve. It's pretty new. Mm. Um, I think you'll see GoPro go that way in a real hurry. Yes, uh, well, they already are. I think they're looking yeah. at that really big, big time. So that, that's interesting. Um, I downloaded an app the other day. I've been trying to learn how to play guitar for about eighteen months, and this has accelerated my guitar. My, I'm going to call it my guitar prowess. But my, basically, learning to play electric guitar is is one of those things I've always wanted to do. I took lessons. It was painful. It was horrible. I hated it. I found an app. It is the best thing in the world. It down basically you search for the song that you want to learn to play, and it basically generates from the video. It picks it out and figures out what chord it is, and gives you the chord, also the fingering that it would be, and it plays the video at the same time and flips the chords along like a screen. So basically, you can play along with whatever song you want. One's called Rift Station. The other one's called Chordify. And literally, you just go, oh, I heard a song on the radio. I wonder how that would, I wonder if I could play that. It is amazing. Um, and it's accelerated learning. And, and that goes back to, you know, the opportunities for Bermuda in, in a certain way in, in, in self-teaching and being curious about things. And you can learn anything now through the yeah. internet and through things like these types of apps. Um, not a really high-tech thing, but, you know, I, I, it's techy but not techy. And that is, I'm kind of really keyed up about electric motorcycles right now. Mm -hmm. I have in my mind what I want would want in a, in a motorcycle. I want kind of that classic old Honda CB. Yeah. I think it's a very approachable bike. I think it's something that's, you know, I'm intimidated by the big super bikes. I really like the old style. And I've been looking around trying to see if I could find an electric version of that. Is anybody manufacturing? And it looks like I'll probably have to build it myself. Right. So part of it's a, it's kind of a, a, a hobby thing that's turning into, but, you know, I'm learning about battery technology through Google. Right. <laughs> so I'm doing Stanford level, like sitting at home, 11 o'clock at night, and I'm watching university level lectures on lithium battery technology given by the, you know, the head professor of the technology mm -hmm. department at Stanford, right. which spends all their time. Which you couldn't have dreamed of 15, 10, 15 years ago. No, I'd have to, I'd be paying $100,000 yeah, a year, a year <laughs> in U.S. educational fees <laughs> to go listen to this guy. And that would be probably the best lecture of the year. Yeah. And now it's free on a YouTube video, yeah, right? So that, that's a huge shift, but it's, it's allowing me to work on something that's kind of technical. It's actually, but it just turns out to be a lot of fun in the end, um, trying to figure out how to make it work and and how it will go, but that's kind of the, the toy that I'll have to make myself. Well, I must admit, it's an interesting world, and we could have a conversation about technology for a very, very long time, and I'm sure if we came back and did this same interview in a year's time, the answers would be completely different because things would have moved on. But um, yeah. very much, uh, the world is flat again. The world is flat again. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. That's very interesting indeed. All right. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Burn News Current Affairs Podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnews.com, your 24-7 Bermuda news source.